0: All right, with that said, I want to welcome up Larry Dunn to share his story with you. Now, Larry has, and he'll tell you all about it, uh, but he was a fisherman who has become a fisher of men, much like Peter. So we're going to hand it off to you. Do you want the table here? Yeah,
1: it it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just when you've only got one hand, you have to be finding the most convenient place to put things down uh no i i I should hear from my accent i'm from uh, a different country than here well it's not an accent i think you guys have the accent here uh, because uh when i come over here hear all these american accents people say i have an accent but when you go to ireland i don't think i have much of an accent because it blends into everybody else's accent Um, well i was born and raised in ireland and if a lot of people know of ireland it's a very religious kind of country Um, Catholicism is probably the main religion that would be in Ireland and uh, is very strong and it's, it's, it's strong now, but it was, you could say twice as strong when I grew up. I grew up in, in, in a family where we used to go in every evening, kneel down, pray the rosary. Uh, we used to go to mass every Sunday. It was a sin if you didn't go to mass, and if you didn't go to mass purposely uh, and you died, you would go straight to hell. It was that kind of mindset that was being pumped into us for a long, long time. But as a teenager, as I was growing up as a teenager, I didn't really have too much of a problem because I enjoyed church. In fact, I was in school, my favorite subject was religion. And um, I, I like to talk about God and go to church, but at the same time, I was always getting mixed up with my friends and my, fa- and my, my going out and socialising and doing things like that. And um, but you know, we had the options over there at the time, you know, money was scarce growing up. So I really appreciated money. I got the opportunity at the age of 15 to get a job, a good job. So I left school and ended up getting a job. I ended up getting a job in a uh, a poultry farm first, and then I went on to be a marine specimen extractor. Well, that's a fisherman really, you know, (laughs) a lot of, sometimes you don't want to be called a fisherman, just call yourself a marine specimen extractor. Oh, that that sounds like a very good job, you know. But that's what it was, and I, I, I really enjoyed it, and, um, and that was that was in 1971. And uh, but with that came a lot of money, and I got you know I was probably earning during that particular t- time more money than my father was in his job, and I was only 15 at this stage, going on 16. And um, but in 1972 I had an accident on one of those motorcycles and of uh, my, my friend that was on the back of the motorcycle he was killed off the bike and i was knocked out and uh, a few short weeks after that i i went, just got back out again and i was you know just back to myself but then in later on as, as i went through my teenage years things just went on and on i liked socializing and all the rest and i still kind of had that kind of tendency to go and make sure that i was getting you know, my my spiritual life ready and all the rest. But we'd go out drinking and all the rest. But it was okay, because there was a confession. Uh, You know, i get drunk on a Saturday night, you know, oh, okay, I better go into the the confession box. So I'd go into the confession box and say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I was drunk last Saturday night, but I have all the intention in the world to go back out and get drunk again, you know? So it was a quick clearing of your sin. But it was kind of, in a sense, I wanted to be right with God as well. I remember going into a confession box one time, kneeling down, I was so serious about getting my sins forgiven because I never felt I, I could do it. I was always trying to do better, but I kept failing, kept failing, kept failing. But I remember going into a confession box one time and I said, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been uh, two months, whatever it was, since my last confession, I told my sins, and then he gave me my penance. You know, penance are usually prayers, and I go back out and pray. And then I remembered, oh no, I forgot one. So with that, I went back into the confession box. Now the priest, sometimes just sees people once a year sometimes once every five years you know he's delighted when people come in but i went back in bless me father for i have sinned it's 10 minutes since my last confession you know (laughs) so he's kind of surprised you know either this guy is a terrible sinner or he needs a confession box tied to him as he's walking around he's sinning so so much but but i never forget what the priest actually said the priest said because he saw that i was really wanting to get my sins forgiven he says son he says, your soul is like a newborn baby's soul. He said, that's what I want. I want to be right. If I died right now, I'd be straight up into heaven and there'd be no problem whatsoever because I'm pure as a baby soul. But to be honest with you, that didn't take too long before that soul was kind of tarnished again when I went outside, where I looked at it again, ooh, there's a fine bit of stuff, you know, or whatever it was, you know, you know that went through my mind, you know. And sin, I didn't realize sin was so, so strong and sin would just come on you so quickly before you know it you've sinned and really you'd want a confession box tied to you if you wanted yourself pure and that. And I wasn't the only one because that's, that's, that's the way it was. And, but I went to the States then in the United States in 1980. And for me, for anybody to go to the United States was a big deal. I went to the United States in 1982, and uh, yeah, I was in around 1982, and that was great. I got lots of religious freedom, but I was still kind of searching. I was still kind of wanting to know what is right and not right, and I, had, I was away from the religiosity of my time, of my place, so I could do what I wanted to do, and it didn't feel I had to be forced, but I didn't have to be forced to go to church or anything. I went to Mass on a regular basis, even over there. I got lots of jobs over there. I was working in all kinds of situations. I was working in Park Avenue, bringing movie stars. Up and down. I was working in the fishing industry in, 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 on Long Island and, and doing lots of things, painting. I, you know, I got a lot of experience at the early stages. But even then, I remember the convictions that were there. Even though we go out with the Irish guys over there and we go out and get drunk, there was something in me telling me there's something more there's something more. So I'd end up trying to go to mass a little bit more over there, even at half past seven in the morning when, when, when everybody else was asleep or hang over, hung over or something. But I still wanted to do what is right. And then after a while, I remember walking through New York and there was a couple of people come up to me. I was just walking in Manhattan, and some people come up and me and said, are you a New Yorker? I said, no, I'm an Irish man. And he said, "Interesting." But before I knew it, I was up in the Catskill Mountains with the Moonies. Anybody ever heard of the Moonies? The Moonies were, I, the only Moonies I ever knew were a family that used to live around the corner from us. But the, these Moonies were people who were um, influenced by a man called Sun Yon Moon, who came over from South Korea. And he was claiming to be the new Messiah, that Jesus actually appeared to him, bowed down to him, and gave him the t- task of finishing the work that Jesus didn't finish, that he was to get people, marry them together, and the children that were to come out of this marriage were the perfect children, the perfect children. You might have heard of the mass weddings that was going on in New York for for a while. That was the Moonies. Hundreds of people getting married. They'd separate for a period of time. They'd come back together because they'd be sanctified, not cleaned up, and they'd go off and they would have children, and they were supposed to be the perfect children. I'd love to see those children today, you know, if they're anything like my kids. Sorry, Naomi, I wasn't (laughs) talking. Yes, yeah, so, so it was, you know, it was a, a really interesting experience that went overboard. When I came back from the Moonies, I went back to a priest because I wanted to know, where they the right people? Because they were the first people to introduce me to the Bible. And we never had a Bible in the house. We never had a, the Word of God in our possession, in our home, because it was classified as a Protestant book. In fact, my sister-in-law said to my brother, when I eventually later on gave him a Bible, she says, burn that Bible because it's a Protestant <coughs> book. And that's the way we saw, just to give you an idea of the mindset of the people, it's a Protestant book, have nothing to do, it's a dark book. And they used to call the Protestants, the black Protestants, you know? So, so even when I go over to Ireland and I'm talking to people, I never call myself a Protestant, I call myself a Christian because there's so much division with, even with that term. I came back to Ireland anyway, I ended up buying my own fishing trawler because that's what was my career. I loved fishing, I loved going out, but I ended up buying it in 1983. And it was one of the first of my two uh, fishing trawlers that I bought. And it was good, the work was very hard. We'd go out for days, we'd carry ice with us, we'd ice the fish and we, we would do a, a, a lot of hard, hard work. But uh, it, it was 1985, after trying to survive working hard, employing people and all the rest, I went out one Saturday morning and uh, I had only one crewman with me and he uh, was fast asleep in the boat when we had our nets out and we were trawling away, we were catching the fish, and, and I went down into the fish hole just to ca- clean out some filters that were underneath the drive shaft. The shaft, now remember, the boat was pulling the boat, so the drive shaft was spinning around, so I had to carefully put my arm down into the fish hole to try and pull out this shaft that was was spinning around so and i would do it all the time so it wasn't any big deal or anything so i'd put my I'd put my arm down and with that as i leaned down there was threads hanging off my jacket and they wrapped on the shaft pulling me in and slamming me to the ground knocking me out to scar my head as, as a result And but i was knocked out for about probably about 3 quarters of an hour, while the boat was going by itself, because there was nobody up the wheelhouse, my friend was fast asleep, so I managed to wake up, what's going on, what's but I was tied to the shaft, the engine was still going, I tried to shout to the guy, that the, the clothes were so tight around me that I wasn't even able to shout, I was almost choked. But then I managed to throw my back over and throw my legs over and kick the door where he was sleeping, he managed to come out, eventually anyway, I got, helicopter came, took me out of the boat, brought me into hospital. Now, during that period that I was lying even in the shaft and, and lying on the floor, I remember I had a tremendous sense of peace about it all. I remember even giving the guy the directions. I remember even telling him when the helicopter comes and you let off the flare, be careful with that flare because you get, could get hurt with that. Here's me dying. He said, I said, you could get hurt with that flare. So, I remember all these little details. I even remember talking to the guy who had a M.I.K.E. written across his, his hand and he wasn't feeling too well because the boat was kind of moving a little bit back and forward. I told him to get a drink of water. Uh, but I remember all of these things, you see, because I had peace about all of this. and I didn't even understand it. I remember even getting into the hospital and talking to the nurses and the nurses coming out to my, my, my family saying, I think he's accepted this already. Because I was talking something like, well, I think God has allowed it. I didn't understand all of that. You know, but I think God has allowed this to happen. Eventually, anyway, after a while, I went back fishing and I came back out. And, uh, and after that, we came out back out of hospital. I was still very religious, going to church and saying my prayers. I came back out and I start to get a little bit, even more religious. I even made inquiries to become a priest. I thought if you become a priest, that will get you closer to God. If you become a priest, then you are much closer to God and you would certainly get into heaven. There should be no question about it. But from all of the scandals that have come in the last number of years, I realized that is not the case at all, at all. But I began to get really, really you know, strong. I wanted, I wanted to do a lot, an awful lot of things. People saw me as being so religious that when they saw me at the back of the church during the week, not only on a, a, a Sunday, but during the week and kneeling down praying the rosary as some of the other old people, they, they thought I was a very unusual young man. A priest came down to me one day and he, he just tipped me, he said, son, you're a very devout young man, but I wasn't looking approval of a priest or I wasn't looking approval of anybody. I just wanted to find out who is this God? What is it. I, I still didn't know what I was looking for, as Bono used to saying, you know, I was still trying to search and, and, and look out and all rest, but they took me to a trip over to, over to Italy. Give me a free trip to Italy, you know, to this religious place. And I thought this was going to give me a bit of life. So I went over to this place and Rome and Assisi and all these different places, a place called uh, San Giovanni Rotondo where Padre Pio was. you never hear of him, but he had this, of Christ and he said he was going to do miracles for people and he so-called miracles and all this kind of stuff that was going on. So I came back there as empty as I was going over. I didn't get any closer. I didn't find myself any closer. But my intense for search, I suppose, was growing and growing and growing. And then one day in 1985, I remember walking through the streets of Dublin. The wind was very bad, and we tied our boats up. We couldn't go out to sea. We probably wouldn't catch much anyway. Tied our boats up, and I had, usually would go into Dublin to buy parts and all that. I went into Dublin anyway, and I was walking through the streets of Dublin, and I hear this man preaching. He had a sketchboard, and he was preaching on the streets. Now, he had an American accent, so I was very careful, because he could have been one of those Moonies again. So I had to make sure, I had to make sure he was OK. So I kind of stood at the back a little bit, listening to what he said. But I'll never forget when he spoke about this bridge you know and how we are separated because of our sin and how sin is the one that 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 hinders up from, us from coming to a holy and righteous god and that the lord jesus christ came into this world this sinful world to die a horrible death on the cross in our place so that we could have complete forgiveness of sins. And it's not by what we do, he said, it's not by how good we are because we will never ever be good enough or could ever ever be good enough. When he was speaking, I remember my, my, I was just almost lifted off the ground thinking, this is something else, I cannot believe it. But he did say something, I remember as I was talking, as he was talking, i was still kind of in the background, he says, I know, he says, that if I die today, I would go to heaven. I know it because of what Jesus did for me, because my faith in him and the Savior, I know it. Here was I, a very religious person, going to church, going to confession every 10 minutes, you know, and doing all these different things, you know, and I didn't even have the assurance whether I was going to heaven or not. How could this curly-headed American who's come to the streets of Dublin say he had assurance? But later on, as we went back to a little restaurant, he began to open up the scripture, that book that was absolutely foreign to me, but he began to show me things in it. And I began to realize there's something different about this book. There's something different about this book. He showed me verses like, God so loved the world. It wasn't a hate. We thought God was up there ready to beat us down. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, even me, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. That means hell. And I knew that. that. Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That to me was, it was completely beyond my imagination even. Two weeks after that, I remember he gave me a Gospel of John. i never read the Gospel. i read the Gospel of John and began to read things that I couldn't even imagine. I, I'd never read them before because we used to hear the priest saying certain things, but there was an awful lot that I was reading in the scriptures that i never read before. And I remember a week or two later, I went back and met the same man again. And, and he spoke about how we need to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I already knew that. I already knew that. I knew because I remember standing on the street where I met him and he said, I, I remember thinking that I can never be the same again. I acknowledged my sin before God. I repented of my sin and asked God to forgive me at that time. I will never forget going back to my mother, thinking my family were going to be so happy, so excited. So this is absolutely wonderful. Because I thought they would accept it the way I accepted it. I went back, Mom, Mom, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He, he paid the price and, and God so loved loved the word. I didn't have a clue about verses, but I was doing my best anyway to, to quote a verses. God so loved the world that he gave us. A, so when all she said to me after I told her that was, does the priest agree? It didn't matter if it was the word of God. It didn't matter if, if it was written in, in, in scripture. Does the priest agree? And I found out later the priest didn't agree. He didn't agree. he agreed to the Catholic teaching on the subject, but he didn't agree that we could have absolute certainty of eternal life. in fact it was an, it was a sin to say something like that that if you did that. well after that my brothers and my mother and everybody were up in arms they were they were terrible my, my, my family were just trying to get me out trying to get, but at the same time I was witnessing them. I was giving them little tracks, I was sharing with them, I was talking to them and over a period of time, one, two, three. Four of my family members became believers in Christ Jesus as my Savior and and Lord. Now, that that is a work of God. That is a work of God because these guys were not even religious. But when they saw my life change, and I say to you, if you're a believer today, you let people see it. You let people know. Don't be afraid to share the gospel because the gospel that has changed you can change the world but sometimes we doubt it in our minds. sometimes we think oh no it's just me no we have a story and just last week we were talking about that story that wonderful story our story the story of our testimony you know get it down tell people share it with with people uh, but this reaction from my family soon changed because then my mother didn't know where she was going all our kids were becoming believers but even my mother we took her in the last three years of her life and even her at the last week of her life she said this she says i don't want scapulas i don't want medals i just want to cross i just want i don't know what that means to her, but God does. I don't know if she became a believer or not, but God certainly changed her. Um. My wife down here, Kathy, it was 1988. I met Kathy, she came over on a short-term mission and Karen, her sister, is with her. But Kathy came over on a short-term mission. I met Kathy in 1988 because I got started up working with the church over there. Uh, we got married in 1989. because She had to come all the way from America with all these lovely fellas over here. She had to find a boy over in Ireland, you know? And here I am. And uh, even though I swim around in circles, it didn't matter to her, you know? <laughs> it was still okay, it was still okay. But we, we I continued fishing then up to 1991 and then we went into the ministry on a full-time basis between 1991 and 94. We went over to the, to the states and we went to school. I went to school over there so we came back and started working full-time in, in the work and I, I can just say uh, uh, this has been such a wonderful privilege. Even sharing the gospel with, with, with people, you know, since that particular time, it's such a joy. I'm doing it full time now. To think, you know, that, that, that people are supporting you to go out and do something that you absolutely love is absolutely amazing. But don't let fear take over. If you have something to tell people, don't keep it to yourself. Share it. Share it with your family. Share it with your friends. Share it with the world. Because people need to hear it. Because we don't know when the Lord is coming back. Listen, thanks very much for listening. Okay.
0: Even if you have questions about Catholicism, you know, um, what I have found about Catholicism is it depends on where you're at, what it's like, and what they believe. Um, I've been down in Brazil and in Paraguay where Catholicism is highly mixed with um, uh, witchcraft and things like that, and then I've uh, been other places. In Ireland, do they still sell indulgences? Okay, so I don't think they sell indulgences here anymore. Uh, an indulgence is something if you if, if you need to buy time out of purgatory, you can pay the priest for it and you can get time cut off the clock. Um, you know, uh, but he, he'd love to talk to you more about that. One of the things that I was always very impressed by when I when I called the a priest to talk to him about salvation and Christ being our mediator between man and God, he said that uh, well, you know, the reason why we pray to Mary is because. God is angry with us because of our sin. Christ is angry with us because of our sin. And um, it's easier to go to mom, you know, because your dad's angry. So you want to go over to mom and kind of go in the back channel uh, and get approval. And I'll tell you, that is not at all what this word teaches. This word teaches that God loves you so, so much that he came up with a plan to redeem you, even while you were enemies of his gospel. So... Uh, so please come on on Wednesday night and uh, be a part of that and hear more. Well, let's get into our scripture this morning, or this evening. Wow, I'm still on morning time. In fact, I've even said good morning to a couple of you when you came in. Good morning! Okay, it's just a day. It's just going. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 2. Uh, next Sunday night, we're going to be having a couple baptisms. If you're interested in being baptized, Uh, we'd love to have you join, be a part of that. So let us know. You can tear off one of the connection cards on the order of worship that you received when you came in the door. Just mark it. We'll contact you. Um, Or if you you can just talk to me after the service, say you're interested in being baptized, and we will set that up so you can do that. All right. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this time, and we thank you for your word, God. Lord, you didn't abandon us. You didn't uh, just... uh, Uh, Decide to be hands-off, us, Lord, you didn't destroy us, but God, you reached down from heaven, providing not only salvation, but also your word so that we can know what pleases you, God, that we don't have to question it, Lord, that we can know how we're to act and how we're to respond, God, we thank you that it's not a mystery, Lord, but it's been revealed through your son, Jesus Christ, now we ask you to open up your word to us, and we ask this in our Savior's name, amen. You know, <clears throat> there have been um, many scandals. We're kind of used to the, the term scandal, and, and we kind of expect it within our world today with politicians, celebrities, uh, famous people. I'll, I'll never forget the, the, the scandal that probably most affected me as a child, I, I well, a, a teenager. I was 14 years old, and, and I was uh, in high school, and I had a hero. My hero was Magic Johnson. I thought Showtime was just... The best ever. And I, would, I had Laker socks, Laker shoes, Laker pants. I wore something Lakers every day. I was a basketball player. I watched every Laker game. Uh, I, I mean, I was just so into basketball. And I'll never forget when Magic Johnson announced that he had contracted HIV. And, um, and then all of a sudden the scandal started coming out about all of his affairs and his adultery and all these sorts of things. And my hero had fallen and fallen greatly. And uh, that affected me. And scandals always affect us. Scandals, uh, you know, within presidents, we expect almost scandals. We're actually surprised when, uh, when a celebrity or a politician uh, leaves without any type of scandal in office. We've just kind of come to expect it. Well, tonight we're going to be talking about Jesus Christ and some scandals surrounding him. But, of course, it's not the scandals like you or I think about today in the negative way. He was a scandalous sa- Savior, no doubt about it, but scandalous in the fact that he was opening up the doors of heaven to those who were unworthy or, or could not be included. And we're, we're going to talk about that today. So if you remember last week, We saw Jesus healing this paralytic man, but before he healed him, he said something quite incredible to him. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. And that statement was questioned by the Pharisees who were sitting there and the scribes. Well, wait a minute. Who is this? Only God alone can forgive sins. And there's scandal number one in Mark chapter two, that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And he proved he had the authority by saying, all right. Rise up, take your mat, and walk out of here so that you know I have the authority to forgive sins. And that man rose up, walked on out of there. Well, today, we're going to find Jesus associating with sinners. And if you find yourself in a place of being unworthy or in a place where you would consider yourself a sinner or someone opposed to the gospel or living outside the boundaries of what is considered holy or right, you're in good company today, and I'm glad you're here. Because today we're going to see that Jesus is all about reaching out to the unworthy, the sinners, the sick, so to speak. Verse 13, chapter 2. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by... And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So we find Jesus walking around by the Sea of Galilee, teaching, crowd following him. And as he walks by Levi, who in the other Gospels we learn that it's Matthew, uh, the author of the, the Gospel of Matthew, he sees Matthew, a tax collector now, you and I have issues with the IRS, probably. Most of us don't like the IRS, and, and uh, we really don't have that much of a reason to not like the IRS. We, we recognize we, we pay our taxes through the IRS. They're the agency established to collect the taxes, hold us accountable that we're paying the right taxes, but in general, we're actually pretty fortunate for the way the IRS usually has accountability. I know in recent years, there's been some scandal around them, but... We're, we're pretty fortunate that they take what they're supposed to and not anymore, generally speaking. So, <laughs> this is not a political message. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so. <laughs> did you hear that Pastor, He's preaching against the IRS now. No, but uh, generally speaking, but see, tax collectors were different in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the tax collector would shake you down. He would collect not only what he was supposed to. Now, Matthew being in in the, or Levi being in the area of Galilee there, he was probably collecting for King Herod. And that's who he was working for. He was probably a well-educated man because he got this job of being a tax collector. But they would collect not only what they were supposed to for King Herod, but then they would reach in and grab more from you. Uh, We read about how everybody hated going by a tax collector as they entered a city or as they pulled into the docks with their boats because the tax collector would search through their stuff, taking things. They were considered thieves to the Jews. And not only that, but the Jews didn't want to support puppet kings of Rome. They wanted nothing to do with that. And so here we see Levi sitting at this tax booth collecting. But as Jesus always shows us within the gospel, he meets people where they're at but refuses to leave them there. And here he says those sa- that same imperative, that same command that he called out to Peter and John, follow me. Come after me. Follow me. And so what does, Ma- what does Matthew do? What does Levi do? He says, well, first let me ask you a couple questions. I have a survey. Let me No, Matthew gets up and follows him. He, okay, I'm following you. Now, listen, when Jesus gives us the option of following him, we have a choice. When he commands us, we can choose. We can choose not to do it. You know, we can do the same thing with Christ. We can hear Christ's command. We can hear Christ call us out, follow me. And we can say, but I don't want to. I'm not going to. I'm doing what I want to do. And we're going to find that true followers of Christ deny themselves, die to themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow Him. We want to be followers of Christ. When, when it says, follow me, it doesn't say... Uh, Believe in me intellectually or, or tell people, because in, in America, believe, when we say I believe in something, it, it can mean a whole lot of different things. It can mean, oh, yeah, well, I recognize that it's, God exists. I, I believe in God. Uh, there's something more out there than, than what we see. That's kind of I believe in God. But true belief, following Christ, is no longer you being the Lord of your life, but submitting to His Lordship in your life. Doing what he tells you to do. And we see that Levi, Matthew, chooses to do that. And what we find is Matthew, later on that that evening, I'm assuming, we're we're not really sure, it could have been a little bit later, throws a party with Jesus. He throws a banquet. Now this could be a, hey guys, it's my retirement from tax collecting party. Come on and join us. It could have been, hey, guys, I want all of you to meet Jesus because I met Jesus and I want everybody else to know about Jesus, which is very possible. It could have been both. But it says in verse 15, And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Many tax collectors and sinners. Well, a tax collector was considered a thief, and someone who worked for the man, as we would translate it today. And the sinner, a sinner is someone outside the Mosaic law. Somebody unqualified to be a part of the, the Mosaic law. Now, just so you have an idea about this, in, within far, the Pharisees and the movement of the Pharisees and the scribes, all their, their writings prior to Jesus would say that, hey, listen, have nothing to do with sinners, it, those outside the law, have nothing to do with it, even in explaining the Torah to them, have nothing to do with them. So it wasn't like the Christian mindset where the Christian mindset says, hey, you know what, so-and-so doesn't understand the gospel, I want to share it with them. I want, I want them to know what the Bible says. No, the, the, the pharisaical mindset was, whoa, 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 you are a sinner, I'm staying away from you because you are one outside the law. You don't know how to worship God. You are the person that God's wrath is going to come upon. So for Jesus to be sitting in this room at this feast, by the way, feasting with people was a big deal in Jesus' culture. You dip food into the same thing with those people, a part of them is becoming part of you. That's why Jews never feasted with Gentiles. Because they were to have no communion with them or fellowship. So here Jesus is. With, this, with these tax collectors and sinners reclining with Him along with the disciples. And it says there were many who followed Him. And the scribes, verse 16, of the Pharisees, when they saw that He was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to His disciples, why does He eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is the next scandal in chapter 2 here. Jesus eating with sinners or gathering sinners to himself. It's a pretty scandalous Savior, pretty scandalous Messiah if if you look at the Jewish law. Now the scribes were those part of the the Pharisees that were trained in the law. We talked about them last week. Pharisees often sometimes weren't educated, sometimes they were. It just depended on the Pharisees. But they were part of that radical movement that was anti-Rome, anti-Gentile, anti-the Hellenization of the Jews. And they wanted to hold to the law, so much so that they would set up all these boundaries just so we wouldn't accidentally break the law. And here they are saying, wait a minute, this guy's shady. He's eating with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus heard it, and he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, what Jesus did was he took a, a parable of their day. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. He took a parable that they all would understand that, hey, the healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. You, you and I understand this. But, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but the dentist is the one doctor that I always will put off. Uh, <laughs> And it's not that I'm afraid of going to the dentist, but it just, when my teeth aren't hurting, it just seems pointless to go to the dentist. It's a lot of time. I've got to make an appointment. I've got to show up. And, and this is the first year ever where the dentist finally called us and said, hey, listen, if you don't show up this year, you're going to lose your dental benefits. So my wife made an appointment and said, you are going on this day. Okay, I'm going. Um, so, and she's actually going too to take me <laughs> to the dentist. But... Um, but, uh, you know, we, when our teeth aren't hurting, there's no need. But there was a time when I had a toothache, and man, I could not get into the dentist fast enough. It hurt so bad because I was sick. I needed the doctor. But when I'm healthy, I feel like I don't need a doctor. I'm, I'm good. And it makes sense. This, par- this, this parable that Jesus shares, they all get it. So we have to understand that Jesus came to call the righteous, not, not to call the righteous, but sinners. Not those who are self-righteous. Not those who are righteous in their own eyes. But those who are outside of God. Those who are separated from God. Those are the ones who are called by Jesus. That's what he came for. Interesting that Jesus says this. That I came for this reason. Because you know. Christianity is very unique from all other religions in the world, and I, I always bring up unique things about Christianity compared to other religions, but it's, it is, as far as I know, the only religion that will separate sin from sinner. It is the only religion. Now, other religions may not even ascend to having a word called sin. They may just talk about bad deeds or evil deeds or whatever the case They may not call it sin. They may not see it as a separation from God, but... Until a person is a changed person, they're a bad guy. They're not welcome. But once a person is changed, okay, you can come on in now. And the same was true with the Jews. But here we see Jesus showing that there's a difference between the sin and the sinner. And he came to call the sinner out of the sin. Those things that oppose God. So let me ask you the question tonight. Has Jesus said, follow you, follow me to you? Have have you come out of your sin to follow him? Or are you saying, okay, Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you when it suits me. That's a question to ask yourself. Because here we see Matthew decides, that's it, I'm following you. And he leaves his tax collecting practice I can only imagine what Matthew, as he wrote his gospel, because he talks about his own call. What he thought of when he was thinking about this. We see with all of the disciples, once Jesus calls them, they are changed. We've seen that here on Sunday nights with all these testimonies and stories we hear about who people were prior to meeting Christ and the the one common denominator between each person that gets up here and shares, whether it's it's uh, drug abuse, alcohol, whether the, the things that they've done in life, all of the common denominators to, to a major change has been I met Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ called them out of their sin. He changed their lives. And I want everyone in here to know that he will do the very same for you. He did it for me. Some of us may have more sin than others. I don't know how you compare sin. Here's what I know about sin. Ultimately, whether you're the worst of sinners or less worse, because you don't want to say the best of sinners. Whether you're the worst of sinners or not as bad, so to speak, it still ends in God's wrath coming upon you and you dying For your own sins versus letting Jesus Christ do it for you. He came for the sick, for the lost, for the hurting. This is why Jesus' mission. And by the way, Jesus is very missional. From the very beginning of his ministry, we recognize what his mission is, is to call people out from sin. To give them new life. And listen, once you and I have been called out of our sin, we get a similar ministry the Bible tells us that we've been reconciled to God, God and now we have a ministry of reconciliation. When, in Matthew's gospel, he expounds a little bit on Matthew's call, on his own call, and not only does he say that Jesus t- came not only to, to seek and to save what is lost or the sick, but he says, go and learn what this means, quoting from Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but the sinners. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. He, he wants you to leave your life of sin. He wants to call you out of it, and He wants to change you. And then He wants to give you that very same ministry of reconciliation. You and I are included in that, and let me challenge you, just as Larry did, as we all do, when we, once we find that truth of Jesus Christ, how can we be the same How can we ever go back to living the way we were? How can we ever just go on talking about things that don't matter anymore? Once we've found that truth of Jesus Christ, it should empower us. It should change us. There's an old worship song called uh, The Orphan Song. It's it's not that old. But I love it because part of the the Orphan Song says, Tell me my favorite story. It's, It's singing to God. And it's, tell me, I don't know what that was. It was me Probably. Tell me my favorite story. I was an orphan, but you came for me. You adopted me is is how it goes. And I love that idea that God adopts us. How could we ever go back to acting like we're orphans? Why wouldn't we share it with the world? And I want to encourage you. I pray that this fellowship, this service, and all the services of of Calvary Chapel, Old Town, are incendiary fellowships, fellowships that ignite and are excited to share the gospel message because I believe time is short. I believe that that time is short. I have no idea when I'm going to be called home or when Christ is coming back, but I've only got so many days, and I certainly don't want to regret saying, gee, I wish I would have shared the gospel with that person. Gee, I wish I would have shared the gospel with that person. We want to share it. And Christ has included us in this ministry of reconciliation. Going on to the next scandal here in this chapter, let's look at verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts a new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. The second scandal we see in Mark chapter 2, or uh, actually technically the third scandal, because we we had the scandal that Jesus could forgive sins. We had the scandal of Matthew being called and Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. The next one is that Jesus' disciples are impious. They weren't fasting. So the question, how come John the Baptist's disciples fast and the Pharisees fast, but your people don't fast? Basically, they're saying... Why aren't your people as holy as those people? Now, I believe this is the equivalent of somebody wearing a clerical collar around. Looking holy. Looking really good. But on the inside, there's not much going on. John's disciples were probably fasting, uh, my guess is, because uh, there were three reasons to fast within the, the, the Bible. Of course, you fasted at the Feast of Atonement. That was the one, time, the one time it was commanded for, for the Jews to fast. But the other reasons to fast were, were that uh, you, you were grieving somebody. Somebody had passed away and you were grieving them, so you would fast. An- another one would be sorrow for sin, which w- is included with the Day of Atonement. You're, you're, you have so much sorrow for your, pen, your, your, sorry, your sin that you're fasting over it. And then the other one is a petition to God to avoid sin. There's maybe an ongoing sin in a person's life, and they want to pray and seek God and fast so that they would avoid this sin. Those were were the things to fast over within the Bible and the context of Jesus' life. And so Jesus answers this with a question. Can the wedding guests feast while the bridegroom is with them? See, the Pharisees would fast every Monday and Thursday. That, That was the deal. They would fast Mondays and Thursdays. They let everybody know we fast twice a week. We're pretty holy people. We're very pious. In fact, we we read later on in, in the other gospels we read about how Jesus teases on prayer and and the the Pharisee that comes out with the long prayer and oh Lord and I fast twice a week and I do this and da 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 and then the, there's the person comes up and says I'm a sinner and not worthy. See, the Pharisees wanted to look very pious. They wanted to be holy. But fasting wasn't going to change their state. Fasting won't change your state. Hail Mary's won't change your state. Your state is the result of sin, and sin brings judgment. Jesus Christ alone and his work on the cross is the only thing that will change your state. And so Jesus says, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? He was quoting something from their culture. He was asking them a question because the fact is, is that when a a wedding was going to happen, a wedding feast was going to happen, no one was to fast within that week, the seven days. There should be no fasting because it would be equivalent to me inviting you over for Christmas dinner, working really hard. Actually, it would be worse than this because in our culture, we, we tend to do this to each other, but... Inviting you over for a great feast and me preparing everything. And then you showing up, knowing that you were coming to this feast. Knowing that I was going to serve food and saying, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be fasting this week. But I'll hang out with you guys while you eat. It's just an affront. It's offensive. Going, when, when someone offers you food or calls you over for a banquet or a, or, or a feast or whatever, stop your fast, go eat, and then resume it if you're fasting for any period of time. But don't insult people. And Jesus says, "Now is not the time to fast, the bridegroom is with them." Now, here's one of his first allusions to the cross. The days will come, or not even an allusion, but this first prophecy of the cross, "The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day." A time of mourning, and a time of grieving is going to come when the bridegroom is taken away. This is his first pointing to the cross. And so then he goes on to share with them these common illustrations from everyday work. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And then, of course, the one about old wineskins and new wineskins. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about this new covenant coming the new power the 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 a, a power that cannot be contained by the old system a power that is the fulfillment of the law not the abolishing of it that's what jesus is talking about hey something new has come and 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 as of course when we think of in days or last days or in times, we tend to think of the tribulation period and the rapture and, and all the cool movies that have come out because of those things. <laughs> but understand this, from the time of Christ's first advent, we have been in the last days. Messiah is the, the, the end times, the last days. And eventually, we're going to see the final fulfillment of these things, and his return for, uh, for, for not only his church, but then his return to establish the millennial kingdom, and then eventually the new heavens and the new earth. But we have been in the last days since Christ's first advent. And with the last days came a new way of living. It wasn't about the law. It was about the fulfillment of the law. And so Christ says that, hey, these old wineskins, you can't put new wine into. It's not going to work anymore. Now, Today, of course, I've never made wine, um, but I know that we use barrels for wine today. And and you fill up a barrel and, and you can reuse barrels all you want. It's not a big deal. They didn't have all these barrels. They had glass jars or goat bellies, goat skins. And they would take these goat skins and they would pour the new wine into it, the grape juice and all that sort of stuff. And they would let it hang there and ferment and it would expand and expand and stretch and stretch and stretch. And then when that time of fermenting was done, they would have wine. And then you take that old wine skin and you chuck it and get a new wine skin for the next batch. Because if you were to try to put new wine in the old wine skin, it would stretch and stretch and burst and you lose all your wine. listen. This new wine, this gospel can't be contained within the old system. Jesus is breaking out of the boundaries. He's breaking out of all the laws and that system because he's the fulfillment of it. The Holy Spirit given to the church, given to us, so that God's law is written upon our hearts now. Versus, having to keep it always outwardly and worrying about falling and breaking the law. Rather, He's changed our lives. And that's, that's what we've been talking about tonight is the changed life. Follow me. Okay, I'm ready to follow you. I'm leaving the sin behind, the tax collecting booth behind, and now I'm following you. And I won't be the same. He's going to put His Holy Spirit in you and change you. We've got it in there tonight. We'll continue. I was hoping to get to that this last scandal of chapter two. We'll talk about the Sabbath next week and Jesus keeping the Sabbath. But let me ask you this one question for you to think about. Are you following Jesus? Have you committed your life to him? And many of you in this room I know have. But but I want, for those who haven't given it all, haven't surrendered it all, I want to challenge you to have that changed life bear fruit in accordance with the gospel and, and that changed life. Know that God will take you from where you are, make you new, and give you new purpose in living for Him. And you can do that. All you have to do is say, Lord, I want that. And for the rest of you in this room, those of you that are already following Christ and you're saying, okay, well, yeah, that, the message doesn't apply to me as much. Well, first of all, I I think you all would agree with me that the gospel is always applicable. The gospel is always soul-searching, so to speak, heart-searching. The gospel always is affecting us. And I, I, I know every time I hear this, the gospel, I go, yes, Lord, I want to live like that. But let me challenge you with that idea of being an incendiary fellowship, going out from this place tonight and this week committing yourself to sharing the good news with the people you come in contact with. And by the way, Christmas time is the easiest time of the entire year to share the gospel message. You can be walking in a store and hearing a Christmas carol going, oh hey, do you know what the song's about? It's about Jesus. Okay, we got a Jesus freak on our hands. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's okay. People are dying without Christ. And they need to hear the good news. Make it known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word tonight. And um, God, I just pray your blessing be upon each and every one who have come and just seen, uh, heard your word and, and, and seen the testimony here in the scriptures and this narrative of, of what you did while you were here on earth, Lord Jesus. Those of you in this room who don't know Jesus Christ or or maybe you haven't completely decided to leave behind your sin and you're still toying around with it still playing with it i want to encourage you to pray right now lord jesus i repent of my sin forgive me of it help me to follow you lord we do pray that you'd help us to be faithful with your gospel message taking it out to the ends of the earth everywhere we go within the city of orange or this area, Lord, we want to take your gospel with us. We thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Going into this last time of worship, uh, we don't have the words on the screen for this one, but it's one that uh, most people know, so join me as you're ready.